Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Brother Jan Kowalczyk, who will be speaking to us on understanding sin. Star Wars. Good afternoon, everyone. So it's nice to be here and nice to see you all. And as you hear from the title of my message, I actually gave this message a long time ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was. 2013. There you go. Thank you for your memory. <laughs> but it's in a different format. So it's not going to be the same. If you have a good memory, it's going to be a way different what I gave before. It's going to cover the main topic, what I covered before. Just before I got to the message, understanding sin, let us play a little game here, a little word game. And it's not a difficult game. If I mention a word, it's just quickly in your mind, just say the opposite of this word, right? So let's start something easy. If I say hot, what will be the opposite of hot? Cold. If I say big, what would be the opposite? If I said, if I said God, Satan. Very good. What if I say sin? There you go, righteousness. Would everybody agree that righteousness would be the perfect word opposite to sin? You know, it took me a while. I was just playing in my game before the services. I'm thinking, like, what would be the opposite of sin? And I'm trying to figure out, yeah, not sin. That's great, right? But <laughs> something more challenging. So what I'm going to be talking today, I'm going to be talking about sin. And sin is a very common word in the Bible. It's, I don't even know, probably, I, I think I checked it a long time ago. I think it's like over 400 times used in the King James Version, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And as often as it mentions in the Bible, guess what? You probably won't hurt this word outside this environment. You won't hear this word coming, let's say, on a national TV, on a major news. No one's going to mention word like S-I-N. It just doesn't exist anymore. And unfortunately, it doesn't just happen on our social media or the mass uh, media, it also happening in our churches. There are churches today that actually they won't mention, they won't preach about this short word, sin. No one wants to be associated with sin or with sinners. Look at us, we're good people. We don't do bad stuff, right? We're not sinners at all. So what I want to do, I want to cover the sin in a great depth and details. So what is sin? What would be the major definition of sin? And what are the different categories of sin? As I mentioned in the Bible, and in the end, why is this so important? Why is it good to know why there are different categories of sin? Let's start today with First Peter chapter 1 here. <clears throat> Open your Bible to First Peter Chapter 1, 
And as you remember, as I was talking last time, I was talking about this process of salvation. Remember, salvation is a process. It's not a one-time event. Salvation has a starting point, and salvation has an ending point. It starts with justification and ends with glorification. And between justification and glorification, we have this beautiful, wonderful process that we call sanctification. So here in First Peter chapter 1, and let's start from verse 13. Just break into the context here, but verse 13. Therefore, gird up the launch of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at what time? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. Just few conducts where you are at church, you'll be holy in all, in your conduct. Because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How are we doing in this process that we call sanctification? Could we say that we totally master the power of sin in our life? But to answer that, we have to know what sin is. Go to Romans chapter 6, one of the often quoted scripture here. Romans chapter 6. How are you doing in this transformation process? How we are confirming to the image of Christ? How close are we? Are we getting closer every week, every Passover, every feast? Or are we just getting further apart from him? Romans chapter 6. And here, I'm just going to quickly just, just pull up some verses here. Verse 1, just start from six, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's how other people may interpret this thing, but just skip down to verse 14. Paul summarized it in verse 14. He said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What can you get from this? Because we are under grace, it's okay if we sin because God's grace is greater than the power of sin. Is that what the Paul is saying here? Or, or because we are such a wonderful, unbelievable grace, Paul is saying that we should be careful if we actually in a full charge of this sinful behavior that can so easily creep out in our bodies. So what is sin? How are we doing controlling sin in our life? How is this affecting us on a daily basis? We can't escape it. 
whether we, we are affected at our workplaces, whether we watch TV, whether we are on social media, our neighbors, whenever you go, sin is everywhere. Even in our homes, sin is still there, still affecting us to one way or to another. So what is sin? And we all know this thing. If you don't know, then, you know, it will be a very easy scripture to, to understand. It's First John chapter 3. It is, I think, one of the best biblical definitions of what sin is. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, and in verse 4, and I will read to you from a King James Version first. Whoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. That's, if you have a King James Version, that's what, you're gonna, that's what you'll have in your Bible. If you have New King James Version, that's what I have. You'll read something like that. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That's from New King James Version. And translated lawlessness. Here in the New King James Version is the Greek word anomia, meaning without law or against law. And we're going to go deeper now to understand this, to broaden up the definition of sin. Because we just think that sin is just the one sin. In English language, sin is just a sin. Love is just a love. But in Greek language, love can be expressed in three different ways. Also in Hebrew language, sin can be expressed in three different ways. And we need to know what is the difference between them. So please turn back all the way to Exodus chapter 34. Because there is, in this one particular scripture here, this concept of three different meaning, three different words of sin... It just appear in one sentence here, in one verse. Exodus chapter 34. And let's start from verse 6. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abandoning in goodness and truth. Verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity, that's the first word, forgiving inequity and transgressions, that's the second word, and sin, that's the third word. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the inequities of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's how serious inequity is. So we see the three different words here. Inequity, transgression, and sin. And three different words mean three different things. And these three different things require different punishment in the Old Testament. So let's start from the, the first one. Let's start from the sin. But just before we go there... I just read an interesting article on the website of the United Church of God, and there was the writer. And there was the writer, he just basically said that the Hebrew and the Greek words translated in sense throughout the Bible, he said, revolve mostly around two concepts. And actually, I fully agree with it. 
And the first concept is to kind of like miss the mark. And the other concept is to step across or to cross the boundaries. So sin will be like missing the mark. And transgression will be like stepping over the boundary. And we'll come to inequity a little bit later. And he was comparing this to things like, let's say, many of us like sport or used to play sport or like to watch sport. So let's say in any team sports like soccer, football, basketball, baseball, the objective is, let's say, to aim for a target, let's say in basketball, to shoot the ball and hit the target. The same is in soccer, to score the goal. The same thing in hockey. And no matter how good player you may be, if you miss the target, how many points are you going to get? Zero. Zero. So basically sin, the simplest definition of sin is like missing the target. Now, every major sport, it's played on a field. And there are different rules and there are different boundaries. Different boundaries for soccer fields, different boundaries for basketball courts, and different boundaries for baseball courts. As long as you play it inside the field, Within the rules, everything is okay. Once you step outside the boundaries, there are different consequences for that. In some sports, you are required to use hands to play. If you use the other part of your body, you're going to be penalized for that. Some sports, you are required to use your legs to play it. If you use other parts of your body, you might be penalized for that. So there are rules. Once you step over, you cross over the boundaries, there are consequences. Now... What would be inequity to? That would be like transgression. What would be inequity compared? So let's say I'm a player that I don't concern at all about hitting the target, and I'm not concerned at all about the, all the rules and regulations of the game. I just go and play the game because my aim is to, just to injure the other player. Instead of going for a ball, I'm going for his knee. And this is my objective. I don't care about anything else. My time is... Not to do what I'm supposed to do, not to play the games according to the rule. My time is, my objective is just to hit somebody and injure somebody. That would be inequity. Total disregards for the rules of the game. Total disregards for the rule of the game. Does that make sense? Is that easier to understand? Let me use another, another analogy. We all came to church. We all, I think, we all drive. So let's say sin will be like, let's say, going over the speed limit. How many of you went over the speed limit today? You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> Some people would say, if you go under the speed limit, you're breaking the rule too, but it's actually you're not, right? It'll be like going over the speed limit. If you get caught, what you're going to get? You're going to get fined. That's it. You can move on, you can drive on. It depends how much you cross over the, the speed limit. So that would be like a sin. Transgression would be like stealing. Not just a little stealing, a serious stealing. You steal a car. Or commit adultery. That would be a serious trespass. And with this trespass, a lot of cases in the Old Testament, there's that penalty for crossing boundaries like that. The last one, 
Inequity. Just to give you a better understanding of what I'm talking about. Inequity will be like a treason against your own country. You spy against your own country and give the information to all your enemies. You just don't care. On a religious basis, you just don't care about God at all. You don't care about his rules. You just only care about yourself and your own well-being. Whether you injure other people, whether you destroy other people. The only thing you care, you just care about your own. Let's look at these three different things from a biblical perspective. We have a biblical definition. But before we go that, let's go to Romans chapter 3 here for a second. Just a quick introduction. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Because you will hear this scripture quoted many, many times. And we are good at it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's absolutely true. We all, no matter how good we are, We'll say, hey, I'm not in this stage of inequity. I've never ever committed a transgression. But every single one of us missed the mark one way or the other. Every single one of us missed the mark. And sometimes you will hear that in churches, the preacher will say, oh, we are all sinners. That's true. But to what degree would you say you'd be sinners? To what degree we break God's law? If we're just sinners in the first category, that's a perfectly fine. No one wants to be in a second, and God forbid anybody going to the third one. So there is a difference if you understand what the sinners is and what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to look for. So let's go to a biblical definition of, of sin. So as you go, and you know, you, you can go on your phone, you can check it along with me as I go. So if you go to, back to Exodus chapter 34, you don't have to go there. But you, unless, you know, you want to check on your phone, you're going to go to the, the Hebrew language. But the Hebrew word for sin, it comes from the word chata. So I'll spell it for you. C-H-A-T-T-A. C-H-A-T-T-A. You can check on your electronic device. But basic, what the basic meaning of this word in the Bible, sin, chata, means habitual sense of human frailty. That's, you know, you can get it in one of the dictionaries. Or slipping away from where you should be, slipping away from where you should be, erring from the path on which God puts you, Erring from the path on which God puts you. Or in other simple words you can say. You are not achieving a standard that God had set for you. You missed the mark. You missed the path. And you are not achieving your full potential set by God for your life. So that's the first definition of the first word. Sin. And this word is very common in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible. And let me give you how this word is translated differently. In other examples, let's go to Judges chapter 20. Judges chapter 20 here. To have a better appreciation for this Hebrew word, Judges chapter 20, 
And again, just breaking into the context here. You're not interested in the context of the story here or the flow of the story. Just one, one, one word. Verse 16. Among all these people were 700 selected men who were left-handed, and everyone would sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not missed. And the last word, missed, is the word sin, which is chata. The Hebrew word chata. So they're able at hitting the target from a far distance. They're actually very good here. Very good slingshotters. Let me give you another example. First King. First King chapter, the opposite one. First King chapter 1. First King chapter 1. And let me give you a little background here to the story. Because we need to understand what Bathsheba is asking here. So King David is old, he's close to his death, and God told him who his replacement is supposed to be on the throne, is supposed to be Solomon, and he's still waiting in confusion. It creates confusion in his family, so his other son, Adonijah, is having a huge ambitions here. He wants to be a future king. So Bathsheba approached the King David, and he, here in verse 21, she said to him, verse 21, otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And here's the word offenders is the Hebrew word chata, which means sin. So basically what she's saying here, that if you don't appoint Solomon as your king, you don't proclaim king, he will just be wasting his full potential, what God was supposed to put him in his place. So even so far, when you just think about and start to understand the difference between the sin, transgression, and inequities, why is this so important? People don't sin all the time. People make mistakes most of the time. And there is a difference between making a mistake and sin against God. There are two different things. Because there is a way how we understand sin from the English Bible, and there is a difference how we should understand sin from a Hebrew Bible. Now, there is also another point about this category of sin, and it's James chapter 4. I would like you to go. James chapter 4, missing the mark, so to speak. James, James chapter 4, we also miss the mark here in verse 17. James chapter 4. And verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So you can't just justify that, hey, I didn't break any of the Ten Commandments. But if you know there is something you're supposed to do, and this is a good thing to do it, and you don't do it, God considers this as a sin. You missed the mark. You are a sinner. Let's move on to the second category, transgression. Remember? Like stealing something from your neighbor, committing adultery, trespassing. The Hebrew word for transgression is pesha. 
P-E-S-H-A. P-E-S-H-A. So, this kind of sin, it's way, way worse than the first one. It also had a death penalty attached to it in some of the cases. It meant to break away from authority. It is the sin of an open and knowing revolt against God and his government structure. It's an open revolt, revolt against God and his government structure. Transgression can lead into permanent bondage and is connected to trespass, which is willful violations of the God's law. Willful violations of God's law. Am I going too fast? Okay? Very good. So, since we're in James here, let's go back to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Now, look here what James is saying about transgression here. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality and commit sin, you try to make favor here, you're not really breaking anything yet. But you're already pushing yourself to try to make favor. I prefer this brother over this, this sister over that. I like this brother more than the other ones. If you left this feeling unchecked, then eventually, if you show partiality, commit sin, And are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but but you do murder, you you, you have become a transgressor of the law. This is a serious transgression of God's law. This is a serious way of looking at the sin. Now, that's the first one sin. Transgression is way more serious. Isaiah chapter 25. Give me one scripture from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 25. As God's judgment is coming on this earth here. Isaiah in chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24. And look here at verse 5. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and a few men are left. Transgression can be really serious if not repented of. And quickly, What do we do if someone falls into this category of sin? What do we do as a church? And we have the answer in Galatians 
And just quickly, I don't want to go the other direction here in my presentation, but just Galatians chapter 6. Any one of us can fall into this category of sin. Any one of us. Any single one of us. What happened if one of us is into this category? What do we do? Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1. Brethren, if man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If somebody falls into any, let's say, let's just take stealing or whatever, adultery. Be careful as you're helping your brother so you don't follow into his footsteps. Gently, we try to rescue that person, but we need to watch for our own good. So let's hope and pray that never ever any single one of us it will be in the second category. Never ever. Let's talk about iniquity now. It's like a treason against your country. Total disregard for the rules of the law. And this word comes from the Hebrew word avon. A-V-O-N. A-V-O-N. And what it means, it means perversity, moral evil, total disregard for God or God's law. So as you can see, when sin repeated against the knowledge of God, eventually becomes transgression, which if you don't check over, if it continues long enough, eventually become inequity. Would you totally destroy your flesh and might totally destroy your life? Whether it be alcohol, drugs, pornography, you name it. Sex. Before we realize, people who live in equity, they absolutely don't care that you try to preach them out there, God's kingdom. They don't care about God. They don't care about God's existence. They don't care about God's law. They just do whatever they want to do. And they will do everything to justify their own, their own actions. First Samuel chapter 3. It can happen to people who should know better. First Samuel chapter 3. And here in this text, we're going to read about the corrupt, corrupt sons of Eli. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the inequity which he knows, because his son made themselves wild, and he, didn't, and he did not restrain them. Verse 14, And therefore 
I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall shall not be atoned for shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. This is how serious inequity can be. And as you can study the background story to the sons, what they did, they did everything, whatever they could. Abuse the God systems of sanctuary to have sex with other women and steal and you name it. You can read it for yourself. Let's go to Micah. Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2 verse 1. Woe to those who devise inequity and work out evil on their beds. Those people sleeping there thinking, you know, how to, how to rip off other people. How to enlarge their fortunes or... Even here, you can read it for yourself, verse 2. They covet fields that take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. These people don't care about God's law at all. Whatever is good for their own desire, for their own good. So how are we doing so far? Can we understand the difference now between the sin, transgression, and inequity? Now it makes a little bit more sense, right? When we just try to generalize it in the English language and we say sin is sin, sin is not just a sin. Sin also falls in a different category, just like love. I will show you the best illustration in the scripture showing the progression from sin to transgression to inequity in the New Testament. I believe it's in James chapter 1, which was read today to us as a scripture reading. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And let's start from verse 12 here. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, if you go over the temptation, if you go through the sanctification process, when you come approved at the end, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Only those who love him will stick to the end, overcome all the temptations that come around them. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, beloved brethren. 
It may start easy. We just missed the mark here. We just missed the mark there. And then eventually we may find ourselves in not comfortable situation. We say, hey, we'll take a shortcut here before we realize. We may be totally off track. How can I, in different words that, you know, would be the best way to express the difference between the three. Let's just imagine for a second that somebody attached. If you constantly miss the mark, let's say that somebody will attach a chain to your leg. So let's say I'm a strong man. I might have a little chain. So I'll say, hey, this is nothing. I can walk. Nothing stops me. I can even run. I can even play some sports. It's okay. But after one day, after a week, after two, I get tired. This thing starts to bother me. I might trip over this chain, right? I might slip over this chain. And when I get tired, I get angry. When I get angry, I get frustrated. Then I'm looking for shortcuts. Do I really have to walk this way? Maybe I can cut it through here. We start from little sin. We start to commit transgressions. If the transgression is unchecked and unrepented before we realize we just totally on the other side of the track, going the opposite way, away from God, instead of walking towards God. That's how I would describe in my best own words the difference, how we should be looking at it, the sin, transgression, and inequity. And it's very interesting today that Pastor Murray picked us the opening scripture. He picked the Psalms 51. Because I would like to spend a lot of time actually the rest of my time in this Psalms. But before we go there, we need to get a full background. Why did David, why David wrote this Psalm 51? Why did he do it? What was so heavy on his heart that he wrote this Psalms 51? So to get the background, you have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. So we all understand, we all know what happened to David, right? He saw a beautiful woman bathing. And because he was a king, he thought that he could do everything. So he engaged, engaged sexually with this woman. against her wish. She was married. And because she became pregnant, he decided by his own order, to kill her husband, who was the Uriah. Now, in chapter 12 here, or Second Samuel chapter 12, there is a very interesting story here. We read about the prophet Nathan and the confrontation with King David. And we're going to read it word for word, all the verses from 1 to 15. And just please read in your own Bibles, or just do it slowly. So we can fully understand what's happening, what's going on here. So let's look at the confrontation. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich one, and the other poor. David has no idea what, he's, what the prophet is talking here so far. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he had bought and nourished. 
and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and laid his own bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the trouble came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare, to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David is listening to the Nathan story, the prophet. Now he gets upset. Verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He make a pronouncement against his own life. And he shall restore fourfolds for the lamb because he did these things and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I deliver you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master house and your master wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. I have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword. The judgment against David and his home. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. To be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold. I will raise up adversity against you. From your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And it shall lie with your wives in the, sight of, in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do these things before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. It is a great story. This great story deserves at least a sermon. Just to go over it. It's just how beautiful it, and whatever. There is so much thing we can learn from it. What kind of sin David committed here? He transgressed huge time. Sex and a murder. What are the penalty for adultery and a murder? What are the penalty? Death. God himself. Give him mercy. God himself. Otherwise, he should be stoned to death. Even as a king. No mercy for anybody. God forgave him his sins. God forgave him his transgression. And kept him as a king. What, so... The seriousness of the sin that he committed actually haunted him all his life long, as long as he lived. God let him live, but the effects of the sin follow him throughout the rest of his life. When you look at the consequences of his sinful behavior, this little child was so innocent. Many people look here and say, wow, this child doesn't deserve. This little child died. 
and was actually for this little child good. Because this little child will be the next to, will be the first son of Bathsheba and David, and will be the first son to sit on the throne, which is not according to God's will. Now, the other point that I want to make here, humility. Humility of David's repentance. He's a king. At his humility that we hear the story, he pronounced the judgment, not even realizing that he's pronouncing the judgment against himself. But as here the prophet Nathan, you are that man. He's changed. He realized of his guilt totally. He doesn't try to hide it away. He doesn't try to walk it away. He doesn't try to justify it. Oh God, I was king and you know I had so much power and I just forget about my humility. He doesn't try to justify it. He said, I sin. I sin. Ability. When you study the Old Testament, how many prophets of God were killed by king? You are the king. The prophet comes to you, pronounce judgment, you can kill him. You are the king. David, in his humility, he's listening to prophet Nathan. The other point. How many of us would go to somebody, like prophet Nathan did, that says, you know what? You are the woman. You are the man. You are the sinner. How many of us would have the courage to go and do something like that? Not many, right? How many people of us, actually go there a little bit later. I'm just jumping the, I'm jumping here a little bit. Now, how many of us here sitting in this room, how many of us could say that reading the story, understanding the sin, the implication of the sin, and based on the story, how many of you could say, I am a David. I have this humility. I am a David. If somebody comes to me and points something out in my life, I'll be like David and say, I sin. I repent. How many of us could say something like that? How many of us in this room could be like Nathan? Go to any one of us and say, Jen, remember what you did? There's a sin. What's more important? What is more important? To have a nice relationship that we don't judge each other because we're afraid to lose our relationship or friendship and over the coffee or are we actually sticking to the word of God and say you're not supposed to do that how many of us can say that I'm not just the David but I'm David and Nathan how many of us have this courage the humble heart and the courage to stick to the word of God no matter what happens You know, it's so easy these days. I can just go to somebody and say, you know what? Just say a little comments. And we get offended. Very easy. When is going to be the time that God's people is going to learn how to speak to each other? How to speak to each other using the biblical principle? So it's not about your opinion or my opinion, what you think or what I think, in the end, what God has to say about this thing. Stop arguing about it. 
I think this, you think this, but you know, in the end, no one cares. God doesn't care what you think, what I think. In the end, it matters what God thinks. That's what the most important thing, right? Now, we understand the background to the story, right? You know David, and now we know David and his heart, right? Now, let's go to Psalms 51, because he wrote this Psalms after this event that happened. Now, let's read this Psalms with all this information that we have. Psalms 51. All these things that he did, the first words that come to his mind, have mercy upon me. Have mercy, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Blot it out, God. I can't. You blot it out. Wash me totally from my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. He committed all of them. He missed all of them. Sin, transgression, inequity, every single one of them. And he says, he knows he's in trouble, but he knows where to go. And he knows how to go about it. For I acknowledge my transgression. He fully realized what he did. I acknowledge them. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. Think about it for a second. Especially young people. When you do something wrong. When you engage yourself in some activity you're not supposed to be. You will have this image in your mind for a long time. It will stick in your mind. It doesn't mean that it's going to go away the next day. Or the week away. You will still have this image in your mind. That's going to haunt you for a long time. You'll be forgiven if you repent. But you still have this image. Don't get, get yourself into situations like that. that you have to go with something like that. Your young age. All these images in your head. The sinful images in your head. Verse, verse 4. Against you. You only have a sin. And done this evil in your sight. Wait a minute. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? He doesn't care about them. He does. But when we sin against each other. It's even more because we sin against God. You can't say that I love God. But you don't love your brother. can't say. It doesn't go this way. How do you know that you are my disciple? Because you love one another. There's no any other. There's no shortcut. There's no any other way around it. Keep reading. That you might be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He doesn't try to justify it. He still tries to vindicate God. God, you are just. You are blameless. You gave me all this wisdom. You gave me all this knowledge. You gave me everything. And I messed up. I messed up big time. But I know that you're God, that you're creator. He's pouring his heart here in this Psalms. Verse 5. Before, Behold. I was brought for in inequity. Think about it. Many of us were born like that. I was born like that. Actually, I could say that I was born like that because there was still some fear in my family about God. 
But many families today, many children are born into families that have no idea that there is such thing as God or God existence. They are just being raised without knowledge about God, about anything. They are born in inequity. In total opposition against God. And in sin my mother conceived me. Verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. You will make me to know wisdom. And that's what was read today. Verse 7. Purge me. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And it shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. He lost all of this. So his sinful behavior. He lost his joy. He lost his gladness. He lost all, every single one of these things. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. And blot out all my inequities. And he understand the problem that's going on in David's own life. Now we're shifting. Now we go to a little prophecy here. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Because this old one has a trouble to live according to your standards. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Please, in all this trouble, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, God, I still want to serve you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. Brother, we stop right here. And I will stop right here. I will finish right here my presentation today. This is just the part one. The part two will come next week. So if you want to hear the part two, if you're interesting, the subject is interesting, just please come. Please come next week. But again, I'll challenge you at the end of this presentation. I will challenge you. Are you David? Are you Nathan? Or are you David and Nathan? May God be with you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.